Jamie had met the love of her life, but the truth was they hadn't actually met. However, they had connected at such a deep level through their chats on Facebook and other apps that Jamie was sure it wouldn't be too much longer before they met in person. It was a few weeks earlier when Jamie had received a friend request from someone she didn't know. She was about to delete it when she noticed the man in the profile picture was actually quite cute. Wanting to know more about him, she made the decision to accept the request. The next day, Jamie received a message from that man. He thanked her for accepting his request and asked a little bit about her. They began talking, and it turned out they had plenty in common. In fact, Jamie even told her best friend that it seemed like they were made for each other. After a few days of messaging on Facebook, he suggested that they move to a different app to communicate. She downloaded the app he told her to use, and they began communicating there. Then, a couple weeks later, he'd found another great app, so he told her to move there and delete the other one. At that point, Jamie suggested that they begin talking on the phone. With how well they had connected, Jamie didn't think it would be a problem, but her new friend got upset with her and said that it was absolutely too soon to do something like that. Jamie was a bit surprised by his reaction, and she was even more surprised when he disappeared and didn't respond to her messages for several days. Just when Jamie was about to give up contacting him, he reached out again. He had to travel out of the country, he said, but he got robbed while he was there, and now he had no way to get what he needed in order to get back home. Could she just send him a little money and help him get back? He promised he would pay her back as soon as he arrived home. Fortunately, it was at this point that Jamie became suspicious. She had a friend look over all their communication, and the friend confirmed what she already suspected. She had been the victim of catfishing. As we discussed last week, there are fakes all over the internet. Sometimes it can even feel like a challenge just to figure out what is real and what is fake anymore. However, if you know what to spot, you can recognize the difference between what is real and what is fake very often. So with that in mind, we continue the topic we started in last week's episode with the second part of our discussion on how to recognize online fakes. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. Last week, we discussed how to spot fake products, fake reviews, and fake emails. But we ran out of time before we could discuss other fakes that you might encounter online. Today, we'll pick it up and start with fake websites. Fake websites can be used for a variety of purposes. Sometimes they're used to steal your login credentials to many different sites. 
In other cases, they could be used to get you to make purchases with deals that seem too good to be true, because they are. In some cases, they can be used to push false or misleading news or information, some of which could harm yourself or your security. And finally, they might be used to gather data from old or misconfigured products that were once configured to send data to that address. So how can you spot fake websites? First, look carefully at the domain name. The domain name is the part of the website that ends with .com, .gov, .org, .net, or many of the other endings that you might find online today. Many fake websites are built using common typos of legitimate sites. As I mentioned last week, I received an email that was sent to me from the statefram.com domain. Obviously, this was designed to steal the login information of State Farm customers. For many years, Air France users were subject to a similar issue if they accidentally visited airyfrance, arifrance.com. And back in the early days of the internet, whitehouse.com was a porn site, while whitehouse.gov was the official website of the American presidential mansion. For this reason, many companies will attempt to identify common misspellings of their domain and then redirect them to the actual domain. For example, if you forget the K and attempt to visit faceboo.com, you'll still get to Facebook. If you double the wrong letter and head over to goggle.com, you'll still find your way to Google. If you end up on a website and notice a typo in the domain, you're probably on a fake site. When a typo redirects you, it is going to replace the name that's in your address bar. If you mistype the domain and it doesn't change, you're almost always going to be on a fake site. Second, if you're concerned about the legitimacy of a site, but you aren't sure about the actual domain name, you can look up when the domain was registered. For example, until recently, how many people do you think actually knew the address of the CDC's website? If you were looking for information about COVID-19 and ended up on CDC.net, you might not actually know that the domain should be CDC.gov. When a company or individual registers a domain, it's stored in public databases that are searchable, so you can see how long that domain has been registered. If someone tried to set up a fake CDC page in March of this year, you would probably be able to tell it was fake if you knew that it didn't exist until this past March. Now, performing a lookup of this data can be complicated if you have to visit another website every time you want to look up information about it. However, you can install a browser extension that will automatically look up this information for any site you might be visiting. If you want to see the browser extension I recommend, you can visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash recommendations for a link. Third, look for contact information on the site. A legitimate company is going to have at least one and likely many different methods to contact them. For example, if you visit the contact page on the Cybersecurity Made Personal site, you'll see that you can contact the show through phone, email, standard mail, or an online contact form. If a company makes it difficult or impossible to contact them, such as only providing a P.O. box, 
that's another sign it could be fake. You could also try contacting the company using one of these methods. Just because a company has contact information listed does not mean that those contact methods are monitored or that you'll receive a response if you do contact them. Fourth, you can also run a website through a virus scanner. There are numerous online antivirus scanners that can check websites. I will link to one in the show notes page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com episode 22. Using these sites, you can submit a website or a file, and it will scan it for malicious activity. However, do note that while it means the site is safe from malicious activity, it doesn't mean the content is safe or accurate. A website that tells you that putting your phone in the microwave is an efficient way to charge it might be rated safe, but following that action is absolutely not recommended. And finally, be protective about what information you provide to websites. This is good advice for any site, even reputable ones, but it's especially important when you're dealing with a website you think might be questionable. If you're providing credit card information, be even more cautious. Fake programs or apps can be even more dangerous than fake websites. While fake websites can be malicious, there's a much greater limit to what they can do. However, when you install software on your phone or computer, you're giving that program even greater access to your system. Fake programs for your desktop or fake apps for your phone will usually pretend to have a legitimate use. One of the most common malicious phone apps are flashlight apps, which are almost unnecessary because virtually every phone now has flashlight functionality built in. But despite that, malicious flashlight apps are common and downloaded regularly. So how can you recognize fake software? First, look at the reviews and the ratings. Choose apps that have a high number of positive reviews. The information we discussed last week when discussing how to spot fake reviews would also be very relevant here. Second, look at what products reputable websites recommend. If a product has a substantial number of reviews claiming that it's the best product ever, but you can't find it recommended or even mentioned as an option by any reputable tech website, it's probably best to find a different app. Third, look at the name of the app's developer. If the app isn't produced by the company you would expect, it's probably fake. For example, if you're searching for the Google Calendar app and you find an app that claims to be Google Calendar but isn't made by Google, you know that it's not the legitimate Google Calendar app. Furthermore, fake apps will often try to charge you money for things that should be free. Sticking with that previous example, Google Calendar is a free service. If you download an app that wants you to pay to use Google Calendar, it's fake. This applies both to payments required to download the app and in-app purchases that happen afterwards. And finally, check out the permissions that the app requests. If an app asks to listen to your phone calls, view your text messages, or look at your photos when it doesn't seem necessary, then you need to check out whether you're actually looking at a legitimate app. So far, we've discussed fake products, 
fake reviews, fake emails, fake websites, and fake apps. Last, we are going to discuss how to recognize fake people. No, in this instance, I'm not talking about people who emotionally pretend to be something else. We're discussing people who actually give themselves a whole new identity online. Fake people are most common in online dating. A person will set up a fake dating profile in order to attract your attention. Once they're talking to you, they can take you on an emotional ride for their own enjoyment, or they can exploit your trust and ask for money in a supposed emergency. However, fake people can also serve other purposes. Sometimes it might be to get on your friends list for the purpose of spreading malicious links or fake news. It could be to learn more information about you in order to conduct other actions, such as social engineering or even robbing your house while you're on vacation. And in some instances, private investigators or jealous exes have also been known to send friend requests with fake profiles just so they can track what you're up to. Regardless of the purpose, there are some signs you can use to identify fake profiles when you encounter them. First, on social media, ask yourself if you know this person. If you don't, there's a good possibility that it could be a fake account, especially if the person has no mutual friends or is only friends with a few people. Obviously, this test doesn't work for online dating, where the point is to meet new people. But for social media, it's always best to have a policy of not accepting any requests from people you don't know. Second, look at the profile picture. Most people don't take the time to have professional portraits done for their profile. If the profile picture looks like a model in the middle of a photo shoot, it's also a good reason to be suspicious. Along that line, you can also do a reverse image search. You're probably familiar with the ability to search for images matching the words you type, but all of the major search engines also offer the ability to search by a photo. If you upload the person's profile photo and find it appears all over the internet, it's almost certainly a fake account. If you'd like more information on how to do a reverse image search, I'll link to a set of instructions in the show notes at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 22. Third, look at the content that the person posts. On Facebook, even if you don't post regularly, it's almost impossible to have an account without being tagged in a few photos or posts. If the person's profile consists of just a few selfies and nothing else, you should be cautious. Even on dating sites, look at how the person's profile compares to others. Many fake accounts will have very limited details available so that the person can later fill in stories that will help you connect even better. Fake profiles also may disappear for periods of time. While we all have busy periods in life, it's unusual for a person that you're communicating regularly with to disappear for long stretches of time. If that happens, you're right to be concerned. And finally, a person with a fake profile will absolutely not want to communicate with you by voice or video. In online dating, it may be somewhat unusual to communicate by phone or video chat quickly, 
But if you have other red flags, it might not be a bad idea to ask the person if they can get on video chat for at least a couple minutes. There may be legitimate reasons why the person won't want to do it right away. Perhaps her hair is a mess or he's getting ready for work. But if the person refuses to do it at all, that's going to seem suspicious. So with all of the fakes out there, how can we even tell what's real anymore? Fortunately, if you know what to look for, there are still signs that can help you identify what is fake and what is real. By knowing what to look for, you can keep yourself protected from many of the malicious sites and scams online. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to come back right here next week when we will discuss how you can effectively back up your files. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. For more information on today's topic and a transcription of this episode, check out the show notes page, which is linked in the description. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, we would also appreciate it if you could take the time to rate and review the show. It really does help us get noticed. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Please do not take any action on your computer, phone, or other device unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit CybersecurityMadePersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.